0: everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. All right, this week is another dream guest for me. It's the great Tito LaRiva. Now let me give you a quick history lesson. So Tito's career goes back to the 70s, back to the Southern California punk and hardcore scene that bred bands like The Germs. He was in a band back then called The Plugs, and they did pretty well. They put out a couple albums, they had some success there locally. In fact, in 1983, Alex Cox, the director, pegged Tito, to do the music for his, what would become the cult classic movie, Repo Man. Remember Repo Man? Plugs have a couple songs on that soundtrack. So he does this, but shortly after that, in the mid eighties, he kind of decides that punk's not really where it's at anymore. And so the band changed directions and they changed their name to the Cruzados. Now that is a band that I love. They were a pretty hyped band. I think they were called like hottest band in the country there for a while. They put out two albums in the mid to late 80s, one that's self-titled and the other called After Dark, both of which are amazing. In fact, you may remember the Cruzados. They are the band playing in the bar in the first scene of Roadhouse. Remember Roadhouse? That's one of my all-time favorite movies. I love that movie. The third album starts to come together in the late 80s. And of all people, Clive Davis decides to put a stop to this. Now, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly should know by now that half the time, Clive Davis might be a genius, but the other half, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And this is one of those times. So, Cruzado's come to an end, and uh, eventually Tito starts another band, which is still going strong today, called Tito and Tarantula. And they are pegged, you may remember them from in 1996, they were the band playing in the bar in that movie From *Dust Till Dawn, that iconic scene when Selma Hayek is dancing with the snake looking as hot as can be. They are playing this song, After Dark, in that scene. So you can tell by what I'm saying that movies are almost as big a part of Tito's career as the music has been. In fact, he's done a lot of acting, he does tons of movie music, and this guy's career, I'm not kidding, It stretches everything from porn to Pee Wee Herman. It's incredible. I I tried to cover as much as I could. I could have kept him for hours. I love this guy, everything he does. So hopefully you enjoy this. Hopefully you get turned on to some great music. I was having an issue with my phone. So for part of it, I'm on uh, speakerphone. He called me from his home in Austin, Texas. So
1: I got to kick it off with the, something i hope you find as interesting as i do and i mentioned this to johnny so a couple of years ago i'm sitting on the couch and i'm watching tv with my wife and i'm thinking i'm thinking about you i'm thinking where man i like the cruzados and you guys were unfortunately one of the bands i didn't recognize at the time i came around to much much later thankfully or unthankfully thanks to the internet you can find stuff much easier than you would have before you know what i mean so
2: Yes, your music's yeah.
1: really hard to find, which I want to ask you about more later. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch watching TV with my wife, thinking about you, just thinking, man, I would love to know where the cruzados are. I would love for them to know that I care about them and I like them. And where in the world did they go? And how, how do you ever tell somebody this? And all of a sudden, you pop up on the screen on the TV. My wife and I are watching Top Chefs. And it's oh. the season that they are in Austin, whatever year uh-huh. that was. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I can recognize it's not featuring you; it doesn't say your name or anything like sure. that. Sure. But I see your face, and I'm thinking, "No way!" Is that Tito who I'm thinking sitting here on the couch, thinking about right this very second? And it was, oh, really? and I could piece together that it was Tito and Tarantula from the you know the logo on the on the drum. And right, that was right. and that was oh so now I know what Tito's doing now. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that weird? I'm sitting there thinking yeah, about crazy. you, and all of a sudden you pop up on the screen right there on <laughs> Top Chef. That was a major that moment say, for me.
3: That was a very crazy thing that happened. I guess they had asked Willie Nelson to do it, oh. and <laughs> and I get a phone call saying that Willie had recommended me. He said, I heard Tito Lariva is in Austin living there now because I guess Willie couldn't do it. I don't oh. know Willie. I don't know Willie. Enough. Really? And I don't know where he got my name. But they, they asked me if I could do it. And I said, of course I'll do it.
2: I'm not and doing anything. I'm just sitting here in
3: Austin. And my band, of course, at that time, I, they were all in Europe. So I asked my daughter to play drums. Really? And the bass player, the bass player was here. She was, She had just moved to Austin, so I I said we'll do it as Tito and the Tarantcholas. <laughs> so if you if if you ever it had if you waited for the credits at the very end, it's a Tito and the Tarancholas.
4: Oh really? I didn't even
3: have. Yeah, I didn't even have the band. You know, I just did it. It was it was really last minute, and I guess. I don't know what happened with Willie Nelson either. He was on tour, or he just didn't want to do the cooking show. But the really bizarre thing is, that I'd love to meet Willie. <laughs> yeah. Why did you? Why did you even think of my name? Of all the people you know. I you know.
1: Counsel, that is I mean, crazy. Now, did I, my I,
3: name come up?
1: <laughs> no kidding. Well, and you used to do Farm Aid with Cruzados, didn't you? Well, did you not cross paths with Willie at the time?
3: Maybe he remembered me from the Crusados. I don't know. But when huh. I did Farm aid, I guess it was John Mellencamp and Willie who had done mm-hmm. it. I think it might have been even the first year, but I'm not sure. And oh. Neil Young was there. and Sure. I, actually, Lou Reed was on the side of the stage when we played that.
4: Lou
2: Reed?
3: Wow. Lou Reed. And then after we got off, some, I guess, bodyguard of his came over and says Lou Reed wants to meet you, And I went over and... And you know, he just said, you guys were great and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I couldn't believe Lou Reed was like, no you know, standing there while I was playing. I was like, is that Lou Reed? I kept looking over there and he was just standing there. I don't know if he was on next or not. but Yeah, uh, I wouldn't put Lou yeah, Reed on a farm I, aid you know, he, bill. Right. Willie did send us, you know, like a thank you letter. I, I think he sent it to all the bands, of course. And his phone number was on there saying, if you ever need it, you can call me. But, you know, I thought it was just, like, some sanity, But I guess he remembered I do of know.
1: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I wanted you to know that that was a very crazy experience for me. Yeah. Sitting, uh, that sitting is on the really couch thinking of you, of all people, <laughs> and then your face shows up while I'm watching yes. Top Chef. That was she nuts. funny. Yeah. You know,
3: I got addicted to that show after that.
1: Oh, like, I've been a – Yeah. My wife got so me hooked on that guy won, that The guy who on. won opened up a restaurant here called Queen. Did he?
3: Yeah, and it, he serves rabbit like five Ooh. different ways. Oh, wow. If wonderful. you like, if never had rabbit and you're ever in Austin, <laughs> you have to go to his place. Okay. He's the, he's the guy who won.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. They all kind of blend together because I've watched Yeah pretty much from the beginning, but um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wow, that's crazy. So I mean not to get too inside baseball on this, but yeah. are you are you guys literally you know, they're putting out some kind of a party for the guys to mm-hmm. cook. It's all obviously somewhat staged for the show. But are you really the band of the house band of this party or are you kind of performing when no, the camera we, is on you? How is it working Yeah,
3: what they did was they wanted because Austin was the music supposedly capital of the world they uh-huh. wanted to have some sort of music and of local Austin bands or I guess Willie would have been one of them. So it was just a stage thing. We just played, I think we played a couple of songs and that was it
1: and had okay. some barbecue. Yeah, there you go. Some good food. Right yeah. on. And
3: I I think that, that that particular episode, that woman was taken away in an ambulance. And it was all, oh, really? There was a lot of drama. It was oh, a lot there, of I, drama. Yeah, I don't even the, remember. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wow, well, anyway, I've been dying for years to tell you that little story. <laughs> yeah, <it was laughs> I know crazy. such a weird coincidence, okay, so I don't normally do this because i i don't I don't always try to start from the very very beginning with one of my guest uh-huh. stories. I figure a lot of that stuff is out there, but mm-hmm. i in your case, I am only because your as you dig into your your specific career, it's tied so closely with movies. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing the first big thing that sort of, you know, made you a name, a name mm-hmm. outside of the punk scene in Southern California, would have been Repo Man. <laughs> So what I want to know is if the plugs being on Repo Man, were you always attracted to that movie business as well and going into acting? Or is that what sort of catapulted you into that?
3: I was the president of my drama class. I did a lot of plays. When I got to California in the 75, I was part of the Equity Theater, and I was doing plays through, you know, just auditioning. So I was always on a stage doing either theater or dance. I also was part of the Contemporary Modern Dance uh, Company in Mexico City. I had studied Mm. dance. So I was doing that kind of stuff very early on. The punk bands started in 77, I think. But I was already working doing theater and film. Oh, okay. So I was already involved in that way before that. But something I wasn't involved in was scoring film, and mm-hmm. then Jonathan Demi during the you know the punk days, called me and left me a funny message saying, I'm making a movie and i I want you to do the music and I thought it was just some quack right so i never- I never called him back, oh. and about three months later he called me and left me a you know phone message time. He left me a phone long phone list saying, I, I, you know, my movie, Melvin and Howard, won an Oscar and all this oh. kind of stuff. And I thought, well, I guess this guy's for real. So I called him back. <laughs> <and> Did <laughs> you know
1: him? I mean, I don't know no, what those I, early days are like. Was he a punk on the he, scene there that you I, bumped into? I or
3: Yeah, you know, I don't remember why he called me, but he got my number from somebody. I, I don't know. And he saw me perform, I guess. Okay. And I, I went to meet him, and he said, I'm doing this movie, and this, you know, it's a, it's a short movie for, uh, it was an HBO, I don't know what it was called. It was a little movie, and it starred David Byrne and Rosanna Arquette. And I, I was like, yeah, sure. And so I, uh-huh. believe it or not, I I got Beck's dad, who was a, he's a viola player who was an arranger, a musical arranger. He played all the strings on the score that I wrote. And then, oh. uh, uh we did the score and then one night I told John I'm playing at the uh whiskey acoustic. I'm doing acoustic night and he he brought David Byrne with him. No way. And David Byrne he called me that night after the the show and he said, David was so inspired, he went home and he wrote a song. He's making a movie and he's gonna put you in it and he wrote the song that you're gonna sing in the movie. And I no way. I was I was I didn't get to meet David that night, but I was very excited about that, and then I forgot about it. A year went uh, uh, by, and then I got a call saying that if, if I wanted to come in and you know audition, uh, uh-huh. and then I did. The, eventually, I did the movie True Stories, but that was the yeah. first film I scored. And during that time, I, I got a you know another call from Alex Cox, who had worked on a video that the Plugs did at UCLA when he was a student there. And he called me and said, "I'm making a movie, and I, I'd like, you know, you, I'd like to talk to you." And we talked about Sergio Leone, the approach to the film, and then I ended up scoring that film. No one ever thought that movie
1: was going to do anything, <laughs> right? Well, it's a weird movie, but yeah, it's, it's very this cult thing, movie. right?
3: Yeah, and it, but it was brilliant, and it really spoke to, to a lot of the kids, and. I remember watching it in the movie theater for uh, the premiere and I, I was like, they were, they were laughing where I, I didn't even think there were, there were jokes, you know, cause I had all the footage. I'd watched it. I'd watched it a hundred times uh-huh. I, and I loved working on that film because I, I did what, I I guess I've done it again, but it was the first time like I conducted the band to the picture so I could catch all the little point because we did over 50 cues for that film. Oh wow, uh, there were there was a lot of music and it was so exciting to do that to like yeah, have the I band bet. the band in front of me the screen behind them and you know after we had written all the parts of course and then I'm sitting there just making sure the band either slows down or speeds up the right point. Yeah. yeah. And this is just you know I thought this is something I really loved doing and uh, and I was fortunate enough to, to work on a lot of really uh, good films and a lot of really bad ones, but all of them were fun. I mean, all that, That's stuff, that stuff is really great to yeah. do. But like you said before, uh, Repo Man was actually the thing that kind of put us on the map. I don't think a lot of people knew that I scored the film. More people knew, the, you know, because of the plug, the songs that were in the sure. film. my name i use. i mean i didn't use tito uh i'm yeah. credited as umberto uh, yeah is that your real name
1: that's my yeah that's my real okay name. and i okay. used that
3: because i wanted to
1: separate it from you know being the band you know sure but, this is a different thing you're doing over here sort of a yeah. different persona
2: yeah right, right but
1: that's where the seed was planted for yeah. you know a lot of the people i talked to On the podcast, and I don't necessarily put you in this category, but I try to seek out people who may be a little more obscure. Maybe they had a hit and you haven't heard from them for a long time, or they were in a really great band that was supposed to be big and just didn't take off or whatever. And those are the kind of people I'm really fascinated by hearing what their story is like because they don't get told very often. Right. And I find that a lot of the people, though, once you have done something and you've done it well enough. It's all sort of who you know and what you can network and what you have some credibility at. And so you're not that, you've sort of like lost your virginity, so to speak, on this movie that now makes it easier for other people to call on you to, you know, take advantage of this talent of yours. Whether you knew it was there, whether it was part of the plan or not, it's now there. You know, this is the beginning of a a plant, of a seed being planted in your mind, that there might also be a movie side to your music career as well, or is that just a one-time thing? And who knows if that mm-hmm. ever happens again?
3: Well, yes, it it happened many times
1: after that. I'm sure, sure. but what are it's you amazing. thinking? Are you thinking now I want to pursue this, or yeah. are you still just a musician? And that was you know kind of something cool that happened to you,
3: right? Well, I guess I didn't really pursue it, which is, I I guess, why I'm uh, considered under-the-radar kind of a person. I I didn't have an agent like a lot of these guys get to hustle them, Mm -hmm. into other films, things like that. Uh, I didn't do that. I, I just kept doing the plugs and then eventually the crusados. And incidentally, after I did Repo Man, I thought, this sound, I love this sound. And me and Steve Huster, you know, changed the the, the band. We started... really. It, the punk scene had kind of...
2: Mm-hmm. Not
3: that it ended, but it, it was kind of going in a weird direction. You could feel yeah. there was a lot of things were changing. And we went to New York. I sold a bunch of guitars, and we went to New York and lived there for three months. And decided, you know, this is the sound we like, this kind mm-hmm. of spaghetti western kind of thing at that mm-hmm. time. And we we changed the name of the band from the Plugs to the Crusados. But same guys, except right. we were now the okay. Crusados. I and, wondered about uh, that. And, yeah, and the sa- and the sound did change. It was a lot yeah. you know, of that spaghetti western guitar, and kind of a you know, romantic, I don't know, sure. if it's romantic but dramatic, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And it had a lot of my roots too, which was growing up in Texas. There was a lot of mm-hmm. blues kind of things in there too. So it it really did influence my band sound as well, not just mm. uh, yeah. films. And well, as said, far as other films they just started coming around like little right. short films or uh Things like that, and you know, I think even before now that I remember, I can't remember what the time frame was, but I remember, and it might have been before Repo Man. I scored a porno film. You did. Yes, and it won best porno <laughs> film of the year.
2: Really. And
3: and it was it was called New Wave Hookers. Oh. And yeah, it was called New Wave. Okay. Was, and this girl from, because I don't know if you know this about, I was part of the original Pee Wee Herman show. I and, did, yeah. yeah. I did yeah. know that. And Donna Kaufman, who was one of the producers, she worked with the residents and she worked with, um, there was oh. a the porno film called Cafe Flesh that came out that was kind of an arty porno film. Okay. I think of Voodoo scored or something. Oh, well, She interesting. called me and said, there's a guy making an art film and he he wants some music. So I did the whole score on a cassette player, and then, then I transferred it to some tape with this guy, Paul Young. He had a little studio. And, okay. and we, formed, we formed a band called Easy Teeth for the porno film, and that was the keyboard player from Fang Zappa, Robin, uh, Ro, I think it was Robert Williams from Captain Beefheart.
1: No, way. Uh,
3: yeah, and we, we recorded two... Songs for the porno film in Paul Young's studio.
5: I got this fire burning inside me because of love I lost in the alley. She appeared when she disappeared into a
4: cloud of graffiti. She electrified me.
5: Hair stuck in the sky a plastic bag, a gun inside, Bring cowboy boots and a black straight legs, She electrified me. She electrified me. She electrified me.
3: You have to stop me here, but it's a long story, but
1: no, it's cool.
3: The porno film had Tracy Lords in it, and and oh, she, was 16, sure. she, she was sixteen, and they pulled the film because you know you know, right. it got busted. Right. It ended up not being an art film; it was just a straight-on porno film. And Donna Kaufman calls me in the middle of the, the thing and says, "Don't do it. It's it's not an art film. It's a porno film." And I said, "It's too late. I got the money already, right. and I'm I'm already doing it." Yeah, and she she was really embarrassed about it, but wow. I did it and I did it anyway. Many years later, fast forward twenty—I don't know how many years. This guy calls me, says I'm writing a movie about that movie about that era, and it's called uh, Boogie Nights. I want to interview you about what happened during the making of that film. So I go over to the guy's house, and he's got <laughs> posters of Tracy Lords everywhere, uh-huh. and and he has posters of the film of New Wave Hookers. I don't even know where he no got way. It. No he way. Was obsessed with this movie, and you know, really? he, yeah, we we chatted for a while, and and I assume this thing, is Paul know.
1: Thomas Anderson that you're talking to. Yeah,
3: he was like this nerdy kid who was into Tracy Lord. <laughs> wow, wow, isn't that,
1: that is crazy? Nuts. Yeah, it yeah. is not I
3: mean, it's totally crazy. And, so and then the movie comes out. John John Doe's in it. I think he's in right. It. John Doe has a small part in it. and I'm going. Wow, the world is so small. And the movie was amazing. <laughs> I I had no I've idea never, that's
1: what it was at. Never so seen it. But that's crazy. It. Yeah, it's so. It's were it's really you? I mean, movie. along those same lines, were you being uh, approached to do more porn music as well? Well, no, because, uh, like I said before, I
3: I. I I'm not the type of person that has a that had someone looking out for me. Everything I've ever done has really come from kind of just performing or people saying, "Hey, remember that guy?" Yeah. or you know, turning people
1: on. Right? Yeah,
3: it's not like I had somebody out there going, you know,
1: calling people every day. That's amazing! Wow. Yeah. What a beginning! Cool, man. I had no idea what I was in for when I asked you this question. That's great. <laughs> that is great. Okay, so we got to get to the Cruzados. Like I said, they were a band. I remember sort of in the background, ephemerally hearing some songs here and there and liking them okay, but not really paying super attention. But then when, and again, uh, you know, I I guess I have to apologize for this, but once uh, the internet and sort of downloading and piracy and all that kind of stuff took off, it became an opportunity to sort of like, oh yeah, there was that band that I always heard good things about. I should check them out, you know? rather than uh-huh. having to spend tons of money and and sure. on stuff that you may or may not even like. And that was sort of the wave, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when I really started getting more into Cruzados. What was the deal? I mean, you mentioned changing the style and changing the name and sort of starting fresh. You mm-hmm. guys were labeled as the next big thing. You're opening for a lot of big names, but only two albums and you're done. What's the story of the Cruzados? Well, I guess...
3: You know, I I I told you we went to New York and we played all mm-hmm. the Philly, Boston, all those areas for. We were there for three months, just trying to find ourselves, I guess.
2: Yeah. And okay.
3: When, when we got back to L.A., we got a manager, and he put out. You know, we we did a record for. We got a little deal with Enigma, us and the Chili Peppers.
1: Oh. Um, we okay. Doing,
3: we, we were doing our first records uh, simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then theirs theirs was done. Ours was done. The cover was made. It was getting ready to be printed. And we had uh, recorded this album uh, with George Tutko, this really great engineer who had worked with Mm. uh, Rod Stewart and blah, blah, blah at Cherry. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we, we were really happy with the record. We thought it was really good. And David Gerber was our manager, and he was a really great guy. Anyway, so... We're we're really excited about this record. We get the covers and the the weeks that we are looking at the co- to proof. The covers. Chili Peppers record already come out. It wasn't doing well, and mm. they dropped Enigma from EMI. And uh, they come to us. They come to us and tell us, "Sorry, we're not we're done. We're not going to put out." So this record is not coming out. So Gerber sends it out to everybody. We do a gig at the lingerie. Uh, you know, all these companies come to see us. Uh-huh. And and Clyde Davis is there, apparently. We didn't see him, but he was there. He left a message saying he wanted to meet with us in the morning at his bungalow in, in the Beverly mm-hmm. Hills Hotel. And there was a couple of other companies that were, you know, they wanted to sign us. So we go to this meeting because apparently the message was, don't talk to anybody until you talk to us. Okay. So we go the next morning. Clyde Davis sits us down, and he says, what do you guys want? Blah blah blah. Long story no short, we're, we're signed to Arista Records, and he says, "I love the record, but we'll put it out. But do me a favor, let's re-record it, and if you like the old one better, we'll—I promise you—we'll put it out."
1: Hmm. That sounds reasonable.
3: Yes, but that was a trick. <laughs> oh, <How was> it? <laughs> it was a trick because he knows. This man has more experience than, you know, anybody on the planet.
2: Of course. He knows
3: that if you're working on a record, you think what you're doing at that moment Mm. is the best thing you've ever done. And he knows that. So it doesn't matter how good the other record is, you're not going to be objective. (laughs) You're going to want to put out the other one. Uh, Oh, got it. You know, and he didn't want to buy that from EMI. Sure. Or he wanted to own the whole thing.
1: Got it. Yeah, he yeah. He
3: wanted the masters. He didn't want to have to, uh, you know. Yeah. So he knew this was going to happen. We were young and nice. So he gets us, puts us up with Rodney Mills, who I I love Rodney Mills. He's, like, from the South. He had done, you know, Leonard Skinner and 38 Special. I thought it was kind of an odd thing, but I loved yeah. him. He was such a nice person, and he really was into music. We made this record with him. The same record we did made for mm-hmm. you know EMI, and of course we put that record out. That's put, Frusato's.
1: That's the yeah. That, that was our you. first
3: album. To Frusato, yes. yeah. And, okay. and that, and the sound did change. Rodney's influence was not huge on it, but there was a kind of a southern thing to it. Oh, and interesting. I, I I'm guessing even,
1: there's going to be a little more of a of a sheen or a more of a professional production feel to it. But it sounds like yeah. did it did it change your style that much? It it
3: if you heard the first record, the the EMI record, which mm-hmm. I don't. I don't even know where that is. But oh, wow. that from what I remember it just had more of a raw kind of a plugs. You could oh. hear the plugs. Mm. You could hear the plugs in the in the in the music. Mm-hmm. And and in in the Rodney version you don't hear that at all. You hear something really tight and really well constructed and very powerful. He mm-hmm. really knew how to make things sound good on radio. He really understood that, which I
1: had no clue.
3: Were you happy
1: with it? Were you happy with yeah, it? Yeah, very, very happy. Okay, and good, very, good.
3: Yeah, very happy and very successful. I think okay, good. That, uh, what I, I guess I couldn't see, I couldn't see into the future. But what happens is, you try to redo that again. Mm, you know mm-hmm. and i think if if we would have had the emi record out and of course this is all silly to think this way but if that emi record came out i it would have evolved in a different way i think i would yeah. have probably gone in more the direction of my my la roots which was the punk probably. Scene. Yeah. yeah probably yeah it would have been
1: more repo man like yeah than, well and that's of, you know again. i always think of this period those that mid 80s as the high point for what I always call Heartland rock, which is that that Springsteen, melon Camp, Bruce yeah. Hornsby, even Brian Setzer is putting out the night feels like justice, which is a Heartland rock to me album. Right, that's right, the highlight and, and I put you guys in there and that's a that's a compliment from me because I that's a great period of rock. Just there's some southern influence to it. It's heartland, it's Middle America, it's meat and potatoes right and you guys are doing that um i don't even know though when songs like hanging out in california come out are the cruzados i know you're opening for people but are you getting some momentum that's making you think something special is going on here
0: Well,
3: I, I yes, we were. I think you know you mentioned the farm aid thing. That moment was when I realized that what we were doing was it's it's kind of what you said. There was something going on mm-hmm. when we when we broke into Battle Lies," which was our single of the second Priscilla's album. There were seven hundred. I'd never played for seven hundred fifty thousand people before.
2: Oh goodness! Wow. <laughs>
3: and when I we started the song, the crowd started. They stood up and they, they. I guess they were. You know, was on the radio a lot and on MTV, but yeah. they were screaming so loud I thought my amp had cut out, and I went back <laughs> to, to my amp. It, it's Beautiful. weird to hear that many people like yeah. recognize something that you've. I can imagine. It. Yeah, it was it was uh I realized then, wow, this is this is something that's going yeah. on that I don't really
1: understand. Um, so, I mean I gotta ask you though, I mean obviously people you know, to some degree they get into bands, they start playing music because they want to be rock stars. And they wanna be mm-hmm. I don't know famous is always the right word, but they wanna feel mm-hmm. like they're connecting. And if mm-hmm. they can connect with the most amount of people, that's even better. So you, you at that point, had already been a lifer for 10 years in the punk scene. Is this? Yeah. Are you seeing in this, that maybe even that show specifically, the culmination of years of dreaming and working and fighting and creating? Is it coming together in that moment? Or is it taking you by surprise? Like, hey, we're just this little band doing what we do. We didn't right. have any idea we'd be here. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. It, it, I don't know if that's exactly how you you're 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 not thinking of it in that way, you're thinking of where where you're going to be the next day it, it was mm-hmm. almost like a bulldozer like you couldn't you couldn't stop it and mm-hmm. and it was like I think that year we did eight and a half months straight oh, of touring wow. We went from one tour to the next I mean we yeah. played with so many bands. Yeah. From the Alarm to NXS to Fleetwood Mac to Joe Walsh to, you know, there were even Gosh. weirder, weirder uh, Billy Idol. So we went from one tour to the next, and literally for eight and a half months, we were on the road, and it, it, it almost killed us. So I you're not it. really thinking, oh, I've made it. You're thinking, oh, okay. I gotta get to my bunk, <laughs> so oh. i i, I just've been up too long talking to marketing people or whatever yeah. it was we were doing, yeah. and then you get to the town, you get up in the morning, you go to the you know to the record stores, you talk to all the guys who work in your records, you go to the yeah. you go to the radio station, then you go back do sound check, go you know blah blah blah. It was just endless. I remember the first day that we were I got home that we were done. I, I was asleep and I, I woke up in my own bed but not realizing that I was home and I grabbed the phone to call room <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was at my home. <laughs> oh, that's great. But, you know, that, you know takes a yeah. couple of weeks to recover from those things. Sure. Or maybe a year, I don't know. But yeah. you're not thinking in those terms. When you okay. start to think in those terms, I guess is when – when you're back in the studio and you're, like, trying to better whatever it is that you were doing and you have, you know, Donnie Einer and all these people from Arista saying, you know, you've got to do it. It's got to be great. It's got to be better. Yeah. We need we need four producers, not two. Not one. Right. We need right. Rodney Mills and we need blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And we need songs. Then the pressure starts. So you're not yeah. thinking in terms of, like, holy shit, I finally made it. You're thinking, yeah. holy okay. shit, i got to do something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I okay. Okay. Cool. Well, good. That's, <laughs> That's a healthier attitude, probably, than the guy who's. So, Although I got to say, I did read a quote from somewhere that you had mentioned. I think that the, ultimately the demise of cruzados was because of uh, the indulgences of that period, drugs yeah. and fortunes and fame and all that kind of stuff. Is that really yes. what yes. Did you guys in?
3: I think yes. What do, what does you in is I guess like what I was talking about. Like you do eight and a half months of talking yeah. about. You do, you do that every day. You go and you talk about yourself every day for
2: eight yeah. months. W-
3: what do you think happens to your head? Sure, <laughs> of course. <laughs> it, you just you know you come home and you, you your your girlfriend says or your wife says. Throw out the trash. You're going, what are you talking about? Yeah. Throw out the trash. I've got somebody that. who does that stuff for me now.
1: Don't you know? <laughs> where's not you know on my road car? Yeah.
3: Right. And then yeah. your wife says, shut up and get out. and you know, take the trash. Right. But, right. And all of that kind of bombardment of yourself and this adoration that you have from your fans every night mm-hmm. can affect it in a really bad way. Yeah, and, and it definitely does its number on everybody. I don't think yeah.
4: anyone's
3: anyone's immune to that.
1: Um, um, can you can you speak specifically to maybe how it hit you the worst?
3: I guess the worst part is you start to lose yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't. You're kind of almost at the mercy of your road manager and your Manager and you're—they're telling you what to do and what to think, and in a re- kind of a subtle way, you don't really notice it. But then after a while, it's like, well, what the fuck am I doing? The creative part is done, you know. Yeah. And it's—and you're out there working it, and that's a yeah. different animal. That's something that's very yeah. different. Yeah. It, it took its toll on me in the—you know—finally when the Crusados were done. I think it took me a long, long time to recover from that. And I think my daughter being born, and a lot of people say this, when you have family, all of a sudden you you stop focusing on yourself. I understand artists now that kind of donate their time and give back to society in some way. I Uh understand that. Because all of a sudden you you found something that you can do. Yeah. You know, it's not all about you.
1: Right, Uh, right. I
3: wish I had someone telling me that in my ear instead of Donnie Einer holding me in the bathroom saying, here, snort this fucking Coke because you got to be good tonight. you got to be good. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want the Coke.
1: Take it. (laughs) Really? Wow.
3: And and I took it, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. I
3: passed out. I passed out literally on stage.
1: Really? Where?
3: Yeah. I. This was in New York City. We did a big show for Clive and everybody at Ariston. It's before Donnie went to CBS, but it, he was his he right-hand man. I was like, I literally fell flat on my face, like, no you know, way. in front of Clive. Right, He was sitting in the front. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's so, probably it, seen it, stuff it,
1: like that a million times. He probably knows yeah, exactly I mean, what's it, going it, on. It's,
2: yeah, it's like
3: a movie.
1: Yeah, it really is, and, but it's real
3: life. And you yeah. know, Ma- Marshall Rovner, who re- who replaced Stevie, uh, because Stevie wouldn't go on the on a tour. You know, our, we had a, you know, we had a, a record come out. It was like number three with a bullet, or I don't know, it was some crazy uh-huh. thing that nobody expected. And I'm shooting the David Burn film in Dallas, and Stevie calls me and says, I don't want to go on tour. <laughs> and I I called, I called uh, everybody and Clive Davis flew in, to LA and tried to talk to Stevie and say, You gotta be kidding, we just put all this money into this, the tour's can start and he wouldn't do it. So we had to find a mm-hmm. new talk player right away and we got Marshall. And he was fantastic, but Gosh. he was not he wasn't ready. He was too young, it was too yeah. much too soon and you know Unfortunately, he suffered the consequences. He, you know, oh, that's eventually, too bad. he eventually died from that, but yeah, it, it, he wasn't ready, and, yeah. and it was just—it was—and that's what I mean. The eighties and the nineties—that was
1: crazy times. Was yeah, crazy times. I believe it. Did it maintain a certain level of intensity and debauchery during the, both Cruzado's albums, or was there a peak moment? Because I remember After Dark coming out, and I think I remember seeing like Small Town Love on MTV and stuff like that. Yeah. Your profile being raised, or did it, you know, was it getting even crazier or bigger? It was. Getting, I guess what I'm asking is, what was it at the height? What was the height of Cruzados, excluding that Farm Aid show? Because I can't remember any I guess, real, like, top 40 hits. Yeah. Um, well, we have, your albums we have, are hard to find.
3: I guess Better Belize was our big. Uh, I mean, I know that Motorcycle Bill from our first record went to number seven on the AOR chart. And yeah, I, okay. yeah, and then uh, MTV, it was like in the top 10 MTV videos, the Motorcycle Girl video. Okay, and okay. then That Lies went to number one on the AOR charts.
1: Okay, so good. It, it okay. did have a,
3: a real bonafide kind of a hit. top 20 or it went to something like 19 or I I can't remember really, but I know it was up there and better lives was the number number one video
1: in
2: MTV. It did go. I was
1: trying to find that information. I couldn't, which made me wonder if it wasn't, if it didn't hit those benchmarks, but it
3: sounds like it did. No, no. We,
1: we hit some good
3: ones and, uh, and it was, we were doing really well. The third album is that we started doing, when we recorded that record, that's when everything kind of that's when life drops a ball on us. For example, Roadhouse, the movie
1: had our yeah. song at the beginning. It wasn't on the on the soundtrack. It was kind of weird. Yes, that now okay. So you you brought me there. That's where I was going. Roadhouse uh-huh. is one of my favorite movies of all time. I know that it's cheeseball, but it's the greatest <laughs> no 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 the cheese <laughs> ever. I love it. And your song is not on the soundtrack, which really pisses me off. And it's not out there—you know, it's not. I don't know where you'd get something like that. So it was that song, which I'm all of a sudden blanking on the name of it. Uh, don't throw stones. Don't throw stones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That next to be launched like the third album that never came out? Yes. Oh and, man. And it
3: and uh, it was interesting because we had just after the second album because of the success of Battle Eyes, and actually Small Town Love did okay. I uh, okay. you mentioned that video. I think yes. was it Small Town Love? Yeah.
0: Anyway, I thought it was.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, after okay. after that, uh we we immediately Re-signed with Arista for another, believe it or not, I think it was a seven-album deal.
1: What? Whoa!
3: Yeah, and it was huge. Whoa. You know, I was shooting a film as an actor. I was shooting a film in Chicago uh, with um, John Travolta. It was a a film where I had a co-starring role as the villain. It was a big deal for me too. Really? CAA, CAA became my agents and. Uh, I had a you know like an agent. I had like a, <laughs>
2: yeah, I was
3: like, and so I had this co-starring role with John, doing this film about a dog, that you know uh, a fighting dog, and and I'm the bad guy in it. And I get a screenplay from, I, I guess Arista sent it to me. Joel Silver was looking for music, or he's making a deal with Clive or something, and I get this song and, and this script of Roadhouse, and I read it and I thought, wow, the script's really. It read really great. And yeah. uh, and there was a thing about where the, the car goes by and they throw rocks at a sign that says don't throw stones at the sign <laughs> and, and the sign's all beat up. So uh, I had a song I had a song I had written called Don't Throw Stones. So I No uh, way. Yeah, I thought it and I sent it to to Joel Silver and and uh, you know, they flew me to to LA, back to LA. I had literally a five minute meeting with him. That was it. It was done. I was going to be in the film and doing the song. They were like, you know, real excited. It was going to open the film. It was uh-huh. you know, Blah, blah, blah. Wadi Wachtel, you know, had worked on the second album uh, with uh, Greg Lodoni, So we went into Ocean Way and cut the track and it come out. It came out beautiful. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Cool. And then we did the movie, blah, blah, blah. We, uh, we got back in the studio. We started working on the record by this time my energy had changed and i was i was really going in this kind of a hard rock high really acdc direction and whoa when we cut these tracks and we sent them to clive he wrote me a letter and saying what's the matter what's wrong yeah. with your voice you don't even sound like yourself blah 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 he, uh-huh. he said this is too extreme these heavy metal guitars this really high vocal, he just thought it was weird. Of course, Guns N' Roses was eight months away.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Uh, right.
3: And not that I had ever seen them or knew who they were, but there was obviously something going on everywhere where the energy was going in that direction.
1: Would you categorize where you're going, and I know this is a derogatory term, but would you categorize Mm -hmm. it as sort of air metal-ish? Because that's the highlight, you know. That's the high point of that era as well. There's White Snake and there's Motley Crue. Are you being influenced yes. by that stuff? I, I, and not that I was even listening to that stuff. I
3: just was feeling like okay. it, it needed to have more of that. Okay. And my band was even kind of resisting, but I oh. was I was going in that direction. Me and Wadi Wattsou were huge ACDC fans. Okay. And. And he actually made me, you know, fall in love with Bon Scott. I, I just thought, oh my God, mm. there's nothing, you know, no <laughs> singer that sings so right on the beat the way he does, and the way he, yeah. and his lyric I just thought was so simple but so brilliant. Anyway, I, I really got into him, Which, which at that time, believe me, uh, everybody was still into the this kind of whatever it was we were doing too, you know. I, I don't know what to call it, Americana, whatever.
2: Sure, right. But, but
3: anyway, it really turned Clive off. He really didn't mm. understand it. He didn't want anything to do with it. And he said, "You've got to go back in." And I said, "You know, I believe in this. Yeah. I really want to do this." And he says, "Well, you're going to do it without me."
2: Mm. And that was And
3: I, I st- I stuck to my guns. And yeah. I, I could have, I could have, you know, gone back and pulled out all the old songs that um, right we didn't record, but I stuck to it. Uh, so where is that music now? Well, I ended up rewriting some of it and using it in, in different films. Okay. Uh, okay. There's a big shootout scene in in Desperado that movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You
2: know,
3: where where they all shoot them. You know, they all stand and there's a big shootout. One of those songs was mm-hmm. called White Train. That was sure. I thought was a really good song. It's in that film, but there's no. Okay. Vocal. It changed, of course, over the years. It evolved. You know, whatever we had recorded then, I, I don't even know what happened to those tapes. Well, oh, I weird! Threw them away. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened. But uh, that that record to me would have been. It would have. Everybody probably would have said, "What happened to that band?" Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, probably or right. They
3: would have said, or they would have said, "Wow, these guys were you know ahead of the game here." They, you mm-hmm. know, because like, then when Guns and Roses came out, it was like. I didn't want to call Clive and say that's kind of what I was about.
1: Right.
3: <laughs> You know, you don't want to call, but so yeah. you don't. You
1: sure, see? <laughs> sure. Oh, that's crazy. Not,
3: not that we would have been successful in that way, but that it sure. would have it would have been a smooth transition. It would yeah. have been as hard as as hard as it looked because our record probably would have been done and out maybe a, a few months
1: before there, so I don't know. Oh wow. Oh man, yeah. I'd love to hear that stuff. I mean, as a fan yeah, of yours, i, I find it all up. If
3: I, I might have a cassette or something somewhere, and if I, you know, I'm getting ready to go on a tour.
1: But if I happen to get a chance, I'll send you uh, one. Well, oh, if time. you ever find it, I'd love it. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, so one of the things, and uh, we talk about on the podcast, is the money side of the business. That's why it's called mm-hmm. the hustle, because. You know, mm-hmm. lesser-known bands have to hustle to keep their name out there to get paid, to get gigs. Mm-hmm. And yes. I'm guessing, and you can be as specific about this or as vague as you want, I'm guessing mm-hmm. because Roadhouse plays almost every weekend somewhere, that you yes. see a nice, <laughs> you see some nice mailbox money from your appearance in Roadhouse. I used to. Uh, oh. as, as the time
3: goes on, the money goes down. It's, well, the movie is uh, just popular as it ever
1: was. I mean yes. it's weekend somewhere. I think
3: from a a publishing standpoint, maybe and now that I'm thinking about it, now that you mention it, I, I'm the checks that I get are for acting in it. I guess yeah. because you are you're not acting, I wasn't really acting sure. but I was in it. So SAG pays me for my visual performance. But yeah. but the publishing on that song, uh as a matter of fact, maybe twenty years ago, I tried to Figure out why I wasn't getting money for that, and I I don't know if I ever resolved it. But when I look at my statements, when I get my bug statements or my you know BMI stuff, uh-huh. that song is not on there. So somebody collected that money, but it wasn't it wasn't you. you. <laughs> do you know why you didn't end up on the soundtrack? What's the story there? I mean, yeah, that the that movie. was exactly the thing with Clive when I told him I wasn't going to uh, back down and I was going to do the you know. Yeah. Continue continued the the vision that I had and he dropped us. So when he dropped us, he did he didn't put it
1: on the on. The no. Screen. That's it? That's why. Yeah. That's why.
3: Oh. And if you me. really think about it, John, why would it not be? It opened the film, it's the no longest kidding. track on the whole movie. That's,
1: that's what I'm saying.
3: Yeah. Oh, that it. makes he sense. He did it yeah, he did it because he the, um, and Didn't now like that I think were about going. it, maybe that's why I never got any residuals either. Maybe they changed the publishing. I don't know. Wow. I, th- I never figured out what happened with that.
1: So, Oh, it, man.
3: It, it, yeah, it, it, it was it
1: bad all around for... That's uh, too bad. Movie soundtracks are something. I, a lot of the guests that I have on here are people who have songs on soundtracks that I love because I'm kind of a little mm-hmm. weird about that. And uh, for instance, just recently I talked to a guy named Tim Capello who was in the Lost Boys and he had a song on the Lost Boys soundtrack. He's that greased up muscle guy that's performing on the saxophone and stuff. Oh,
4: and yeah. so he, see,
1: he sees a check for his song that's on the soundtrack and, a, and for appearing in the movie like you did. And uh-huh. that's true for a lot of other people I've talked to too. But yeah. now the Roadhouse soundtrack, I guess slightly lucky for you was not like a, Million Stellar or anything like that. Right, right. But it so makes no sense toys, for you so. not to be on
3: there. Yeah, I,
1: I thought it was weird. And it, it was
3: definitely Clive saying, you know, hey, if you don't play my my way, then why should I? Uh, that sucks. You know, why should I do this? And, you well, know, Joel Silver, when I met with Joel Silver for, to do the film, uh, that five-minute meeting I had in his, in his uh-huh. office at Warner Brothers, he basically said, you know why you're in my movie? And he said, "Clive Davis gave me a lot of money to put you in my movie." <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's a, you know, and then I, he screws
1: no. you like that. Uh. Well, I don't know if it's
3: screw. It's just like I didn't play. I, you know, we're we're. It's kind of like we're we're in the same mafia, right? So yeah, you gotta, true.
2: Yeah.
3: You got to do what what has to be done. You do you put you put your time and energy and money into two albums and then your third album Mm -hmm. doesn't isn't giving you what you've invested in. I Mm -hmm. kind of understand it.
1: Yeah, okay.
3: I I don't Clive was a a good person to me and at Mm -hmm. the end of it we were really fucked up. We were doing like I said, you know, we were gone. Mm -hmm. So whatever was happening on a creative level I felt good, but from uh, you know, like the band had totally gotten into drugs and drinking and all of yeah. that stuff, and they could see it. You know, they're, yeah. they're aware. These these people are. You know, they're like banks. They've got money invested in you, sure. and they're going. This is falling apart. I don't want to be there. Yeah,
1: true. Fair enough, I guess. Yeah, you know. And if Tito um,
3: doesn't want to, Tito doesn't want to play ball here. It's because he's too so far gone. He doesn't see yeah. the value in what we've done. So yeah. I understand it, and I, you know, I I can't blame them for it, really.
1: Yeah, true. Themselves. That's fair enough.
3: From um, a creative standpoint, that's another story. But from a you know business standpoint, definitely yeah. we were fucking yeah. fucking it up.
1: When you made Roadhouse, it was probably just another movie, and but mm-hmm. it's become this thing. Do you have any fun stories that relate to Roadhouse? Anything relating to Swayze or fans' appreciation of it, or is there anything? You know, do you have any funny stories about that movie?
3: It's funny because I get a lot of uh, mail or you know, like Facebook things where people Uh want that track. They want the track, and it's not available. And the only thing that's available is a bootleg that an old bass player of mine puts up for sale. Really? (laughs) He, He he just took it off of the movie soundtrack, and a lot of people write in saying. I bought this this record and it's got all the people screaming on it. Where, where <laughs> can I get just the song? They feel like right. they've been ripped off. Sure. And there is no, to my knowledge, there is no recorded version of it without the audience on it because oh, man. Clive or whoever had the masters. Yeah. Uh, whoever owns those masters, and I don't. I might have. A cassette copy of a of a rough mix of it, but uh, but other than that, I I don't know yeah. where I would find the track. Oh, I did I did see Waddy Wachtel. He was a Joe Walsh in Houston a couple of weeks back, and I asked him. I said, do you, do, "Would you happen to have a a cassette? You know, because he mm-hmm. he and I produced it of of that track because I know Waddy would religiously take things home and listen to him a hundred times and you know, try to figure out how to make it better, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping once he, he—he's probably home now. Once the Joe Walsh tour is over, he—he he sends me a copy of that because I do want to put it up for the fans who love that song. And yeah, a them, and they write to me saying we play it in our show now. We play it live. Oh, you do? Oh, great! Yeah, we started doing that, and uh, there's so many people that know that song. It's
1: I believe it. It's shocking to me, really. Yeah, well, you know. that movie's had a life of its own, its yeah. own thing. Now. Well, cool, okay. And I should say for everybody, I believe, if I have this right, the movie that you appeared in with John Travolta was called Eyes of an Angel. Is that right?
3: That movie originally was called The Tender, and the, about three months ago, I'm watching HBO, and the movie comes on, and the title on it is The Tender. which Really? It was never released as a tender, but that was the original cut, I guess, because we reshot the ending five times in that movie over a period <laughs> of five years.
1: I've actually never seen that movie, but yeah, I know, sure. I recognize it from. I've seen the box, you know, in the video uh-huh, store and stuff uh-huh, like that. Yeah. And I always think, this is. It's like the forgotten Travolta movie, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. everything. He's such a movie, big movie star, and yet this is the movie that. Was kind of during his down period, and that most people, I don't know if it even ever came out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think it did. Yeah, I think what uh, the
3: animal rights people tried to stop the film, you know, Betty Wade and all these guys. And they went to Disney and protested, and the, the film was put on hold, and then it was reshot. Uh, like, we I, literally every year we reshot the ending. I did it five <laughs> times. And, Not you know, uh, it was a mess, <laughs> yeah. And anyway, the film finally was released Some, I think, right after Paul Funchen.
1: And it, but capitalize. yet it had been made years before that. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Oh, at least five years, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. man. So, okay, okay, so now we jump. So, Cruzados I I just got to ask, I mean, you know, you're being labeled as the next big thing. You have yeah. some success. Did you feel like Cruzado's, you know, uh, met their potential? Or do you? did you feel like there was something left on the table when Cruzados came to an end,
3: hard to say because of where my mind was at and where the band was at.
1: the abuse mm. was so you know
3: high that it, the perspective was very strange but mm. uh not to say other bands haven't been at that point and made great things. I think that if we would have had the chance to finish that record, maybe that would have been the end of us because people couldn't have related to what we were mm. doing. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. I think from a creative standpoint, it would have been good for us mm. to be able to let go of that. Once you, we were dropped, everybody got demoralized. You know, everybody yeah. got like even you know, uh, I don't know. We didn't go to rehab right away or anything like that, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't to the point where you know you like Guns and Roses. You know, took yeah twenty years to make the the next record. You know, it wasn't something like that okay but but it was
1: bad. it wasn't good, yeah uh,
3: obviously,
1: I don't know, I don't really know
2: okay to okay
1: much. but do you i mean, do you have any regrets that relate to grisados or do you look or is that are you cool with where you left off with them and where you are now? you know,
3: I don't really now that I'm here and I'm alive <laughs> and i'm okay mm-hmm. uh, i i I see it as like uh something that had to happen in a way, okay, um. And it, before, I was very regretful of everything, but now I don't feel that way. I feel like no, that's that was what was meant to be. Okay. Uh, and uh, and that's you know that's just the way it goes, and it, yeah. it's a learning okay.
1: process, of course. Sure. And uh,
3: I'm grateful that
1: I'm here. Okay. So I mean, the next you know, Tito and Tarantula. I don't really know the level of. Success that the band has independently from the movies that you've, you know, participated mm-hmm. in and done the music for. I mm-hmm. think, if I remember right, it looks as if you have a pretty strong, big fan base in Eastern Europe, of all places. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did um, how did the relationship with Robert Rodriguez start? And then again, I mean, I'm assuming just like with Roadhouse, you appear in From Just Till Dawn. It's a key scene, mm-hmm. but you don't know that that's going to come to define you for the next twenty years after that, right? Right, yeah. right. right, exactly. Well,
3: what what happened was after the Crusados broke up, I didn't want to do the big rock thing anymore, and I started just writing music and playing, performing in L.A. with friends and sitting in chairs. We were standing uh-huh. up. We we're just doing, we just writing songs, and whoever you know, my friends would come and play. Uh, you know, either actors or like Richard Edson, who I did a film with, uh, the, the, that one with John Travolta, we became friends and he used to be in Sonic Youth. He was one of the original drummers. Mm-hmm. So we start we started playing together. And then uh, I produced a band uh, and I liked the guitar playing. we started writing together. So we had this little thing going and one, uh, you know, uh, one day a friend of mine, Charlie Mennon, who I was a co-writer with on some stuff, he said, you guys need a name. You know, so we came over to Tarantula and we did a lot of films before meeting Robert. We, hmm. we I still was in the film thing doing um, so a few uh, scores and stuff and songs. And I, I was working on a film with um, uh, this guy, what's it called? In the Soup. Alex uh, Rockwell. And, okay. And, and we were doing this film. Uh, I was scoring the film, and the band was in it too. We were like this funny Mexican band. And there was a guy, Quentin Tarantino, had a small part. He was a bartender mm. in, the, in the thing. And we met, and I went to lunch with him and Alex. And the funny thing is, we're having lunch, and Quentin doesn't shut up. You know, he's talking the uh-huh. whole time like about <laughs> this idea he has about this guy, he gets you know, he shoots his wife in the head and she's like in a coma for 10 years and then she wakes up and the first thing she says is, kill Bill. Uh-huh. And this is an idea he has for a movie, right? And we're sitting in wow. on Thai food and I'm thinking, this guy is really stupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's the worst. I'm just sitting there going, this is really dumb. Anyway, uh-huh. so, blah, blah, blah. Uh, just a coincidence. I'm uh, that month. I'm doing this benefit to raise money for Latino, you know, things with Martin Sheen and uh-huh. Julia and all these all these Mexicans. And and Cheech, I had worked with Cheech on on other things, on films and I Born know, in and, East
1: L.A. Right? Yeah,
3: we. That's our band.
1: On yeah, band that's band. right. I haven't seen that movie in years, but I. Yeah. I uh, yeah, that's right. You're in that. Okay. Yeah yeah so i'm in it and we did the
3: song the the theme right so oh uh, Oh,
1: i didn't realize that
5: Those dudes that do horoscopes, man. Hey, I'm a cancer with a bad moon. Right Listen. here,
3: El Fago. Watch my lips. Where were you born?
5: I was born. used to be on Death Valley Days uh, John Wayne All right, let's go Come on
3: He's there and he goes there's this kid over here he wants to talk to you he said he caught your drummer's drumstick when he was 14 in san antonio mm-hmm. and he's a big fan of the crusados and he wants to talk mm-hmm. to you he wants to put you and me in a movie and uh, so i go over there and i talk to this kid i mean he's literally a kid he's like 19 or something 20. Mm-hmm. and he says yeah well i'm gonna make a movie and i, wanna, I want you to be in it blah 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 and he said i want to tell you something my first movie I played your music while we were shooting it to everyone because that's the feel of the movie that I wanted. Mm. And I said, Oh, that's kinda of cool. So about a year later he calls me no, Cheech calls me and he says, We're going to Texas, we're gonna we're going to Mexico, we're gonna shoot this movie And so I meet with Robert and sure enough we go and I'm in the movie as an actor. And then Los Lobos is scoring the movie. But I oh. Robert's there he keeps coming to me and saying, oh, you know what, they're, they're lagging behind. I need another song for this cue. At the end of the day, we did 47 of the 59 cues because Lobos, I guess, they were doing other things, and he kept coming to me, and we kept doing it. So at the end of the credits of Desperado, we're credited as additional music, but really we scored pretty much the whole fucking Got thing. it. Okay. <laughs> Got it. And, and we had, I think we had three or four songs in the movie.
2: Yeah, good ones too. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah, and 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 it was a really strange thing when we went to the premiere to see my head blown off while I'm singing uh, because <laughs> you might see my my head gets blown off, but there, that must be a first or something in film.
1: I would think uh, so. Yeah, but I'm, I'm
3: singing. So. I'm singing my guts out, and then my my guts are literally on the screen. <laughs> so. uh, nice. Anyway, and that became the the relationship I had and you know, and I get to shoot Quentin in that movie in the head, and that was mm-hmm. that was that was fun too yeah Steve, Steve Buscemi was very jealous that I got to shoot him in the head so. <laughs> nice.
1: oh that's great yeah and during
3: during that time that we were mixing by this time i'm 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 close to Robert, and I'm there in the mixing room with him. And, uh, I'm I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm I'm sitting there. He has the guitars all, all everywhere all the time, and I was playing the song. He says, "What is that song?" He said, "Oh, it's a song about a vampire I wrote many years ago in the '80s." <clears> and he goes, "Wow, that's weird! I'm making a movie uh, uh, that Quentin wrote about vampires." He goes, "Play it again," and he videotapes me playing the song. He mm-hmm. it's after dark. Is the song, and he goes wow. and he calls me calls me the next day. And he says, "I played it for Quentin, and we stayed up all night. And we rewrote the scene with the jukebox, and now you're no in way. the movie, and someone's no gonna dance to your song with a snake." So this whole scene becomes the scene because he hears me play the song. It was just a
1: coincidence. Yeah. It's kind like of yeah. like you watching
3: TV. like you watching TV, thinking of, of me, and there I am. And then wow. that's
1: how that happened. Now, is there a connection between that song being called After Dark and the second Cruzado's album being called After Dark? You'd mentioned just yes. now that you had written it back in the 80s. Was it intended originally for that album?
3: It was the single. We actually recorded that for the EMI record that we got signed. Time- you remember that song? Oh. And, and, but it th- was going to be the single of the second Cruzado's album, but I, I wasn't happy with it. I didn't like oh. the old version. And then the song, We Never Did It Again, and then mm. that night, that day was just a coincidence that I played it when I picked up the guitar. And Robert said, "What? I'm making a yeah. movie about vampires? No like,
1: way! Yeah, that's amazing. And, yeah, and and it's been it's, a fruitful relationship ever since. I mean, you you know, Machete and the, yes, the series chatting, from dusk dawn and right,
3: and it, it's amazing. just
1: uh, yeah, it, it worked out for me very well. That's great. Right. So do you view yourself now as more of a movie guy or is or is the band your focus, or are you just doing whatever, you know, comes up? I kind of, that's kind of how I do it. <laughs> okay,
3: <laughs> It's kind of like what comes up. It's like, I yeah. get a call from a German guy saying, you guys are famous in Germany, <laughs> and then next thing you know, I'm touring Germany, and then we play the show and uh, uh, like garbage cancels a festival near the show, we're in Germany, and we, we they ask us, can you guys come from there to our festival? And we, you know, we so we did two shows in one night, and just so happens this Russian guy was at this festival, and he goes, "You guys are famous in Russia." So then <laughs> we, we, I've gone to Russia fourteen times now. I've, I've literally crossed the eleven time zones and played Russia tw- twice. The whole country. No uh, way. And. Yeah, and then we, you know, we did Macedonia, we did Slovenia, we do we do a lot of Eastern Bloc, but mostly Germany and Austria and you know Switzerland and that kind of thing. That's so, incredible. Yeah, and you know we could have done it here. We have a fan base here. Like we go to Houston and there's you know, for for me fifteen hundred people is a lot. But, okay. But we don't have – I don't have a manager. I don't have
1: – Still no. Really? Uh, I, don't have
3: a book, I don't have a booking agent. I don't have anything. We just go oh. when people call. And,
2: really? Uh,
1: and that's how I do it. Does this have anything to do with your music not appearing anywhere? It is yes. so frustrating not to be able to buy it on iTunes. I'm sorry. Or listen to it on Spotify.
3: I know. I'm sorry. It's also uh, – you know, there's a huge plug – Uh, fan base that wants the plugs Yeah, and i don't have those they're not available but one day i'll get
1: it together i guess Um. (laughs) it's so it's so frustrating because so i had to listen to the plugs album on youtube someone had thankfully posted every track on there on youtube Right, Right. so i listened to that on there I have, after dark, it was one of the greatest moments ever. Now, I know, and you can, maybe you can relate to this, I know full well that I could buy it off Amazon, but that's not as much mm-hmm. fun. So when, once I became sort of turned on to you guys, like I said, about 10 years ago, I assumed it would be really easy to find your stuff, and it's not. And, it's not. and I was even in like Amoeba in the Bay Area mm-hmm. and couldn't find it, Rasputin's couldn't find it. I kind of gave up. And about five years ago, I'm in a Goodwill here in Denver where I live, and there's After Dark. And it was just the most – and now, keep in mind, I would much rather give you some of that money, uh-huh. but the fact that I finally found it for like a buck in a thrift store made was me it so CD? happy. Yeah, it's the CD. Oh. Uh, a yeah. funny
3: story about, about the CD was when we were on Arista – Clive Davis had a, we were in New York and we had a meeting with him and he comes in and he says, I want to show you something. This is the future. And he shows us our first album on CD. And we didn't know what that was. And mm. he says, this is the third CD ever made.
1: <laughs>
3: was our Crusado's record. Wow. And he said, "Yeah." And we said, "Well, how does it work?" And he, you know, I was this player that was the size of a VCR, a three-quarter-inch VCR. Yeah, right. Anyway, the band was like, you know, we said, "Well, how much are those things?" And it was like a thousand dollars or something. Oh, I can't goodness. remember. And we said, yeah. "No one's going to buy that." Right. <laughs> we just well, that was the CD, thing.
1: Your CD, that first CD, re- it's like impossible to find. It resells yeah, on you, Amazon I, for like. Seventy bucks or something like
3: that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I, I bought one. <laughs> <laughs> you had to buy I your did. Own stuff. Well, I didn't have one. <laughs> oh man! And, and I thought, holy shit, I, I should have this. Yeah, uh, and, and because I have a lot, I have a lot of the second record. I have the actual vinyl. I have oh, about 12 of them. You know that okay. for some reason I have them, and then I have I don't have any of the first album of uh LP or yeah. or uh see, now I have the C D because I I paid I I, sure. I didn't I paid fifty five dollars. Uh, oh okay. my uh my first single from from the plugs, uh that sold for six hundred and seventy five dollars. Gosh. Wow. And my cousin he he's the one that he he emailed me saying you gotta go on to uh ebay <laughs> They're selling no records way. up to six seventy five. No I way. couldn't believe it. I only made two hundred and fifty of those. Uh huh. And and I guess, uh, you know, I went to Slash Records before they were Slash Records. They were a mm-hmm. uh, magazine, and I went to them and I said, you know, I don't have enough money to buy an ad, but I'll give you half of the records I make, and I'll put your label on it. Oh. And Steve Steve Samioff goes, uh. Oh, okay. And Bob Biggs says, I like the kind of record a company idea. Uh-huh. No <laughs> and, way. And that, that was, was the a... first Slash record. I that started Slash. I cut the logo out from their magazine and stuck it yeah. on the logo. Again, a loss, no matter the cost.
5: Again, a loss, no matter the cost. You're wasting your time, you're wasting money to get out of there, yo my back, I love the things that you do. I don't want to leave you, just leave you and play you no Don't time, you no waste your You no Get out and here, yo, 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 yo Yo, 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 a loss, no matter Because, again, a loss, no matter That's in my head I love that things that you do I don't want to leave you Touching you and play you No, it's more time No, it's to Get out of here Yo, yo, yo Yo, yo, yo Yo, 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 yo,
3: yo That was 250 uh, uh, singles that I made. I gave them half of them, which they probably just Threw them away. Yeah, who knows where those. And are. I had, I sold the others, and oh, uh, I have one. I have one of those. Well, you got to hang on. So to they're that really one. rare. If you yeah. ever see one. Okay. And there's a there's kind of a bootleg version out there, but there the original one uh had a little orange sticker in the bag that I made. Mm. Interesting. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I found some stuff crazy. on
1: YouTube, and um, mm-hmm. I, I've had to listen to all of the Tito and Tarantula albums on YouTube. Those, even those, are hard to find. And that's your current gig, you know?
3: I know. I don't. I, I run out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I, you know, we we sell them out. I. You know, I've always done that. I don't know if you knew that. I started my own record company to sell my records, which was the plugs oh, records, and okay. then Fatima Records. When when I was in L.A., I was really naive and started the punk band, and I wanted to make a record. So I went to the Yellow Pages. I went to the first thing that said records, and I went called it. It was called Alberti Pressing Plant under A. Oh, and there wow, was an old okay. lady who answered the phone and said, okay, you have a pen and pep Because uh, I said I want to make a record. And she goes, this is what you have to do. And she told me to grab a paper and a pen, and she told me exactly what I had to do. Go get a tape, record it, you know, blah, blah, blah. She just mm-hmm. gave me a list, and then I, I did it. And then hmm. I, I had my record company. <laughs> Jeez. And that's – and I've that's done it. that that's ever how you since. Do it. Wow. That's how I did it ever since, except for Aristo, of course.
1: Yeah. Well, as a fan of yours, I'd give anything if your stuff was easier to come by. In fact, you can't even buy After Dark or – I'm blanking on the Desperado song that I love. Uh, the House that Love Built or the – Oh, yeah, uh, yeah.
5: Stripped of all my pride, I stand here at your door, sick of all the lies. Oh, let me come inside. I couldn't see myself. and kiss me a tattoo in- you can't
1: buy those by themselves you have to buy the whole soundtrack album on iTunes which is also no, kind of a, frustrating
3: right and that and that's only available because of the films right that's on yeah. the soundtracks yeah yeah they're they they sell them through the soundtracks because i don't i
1: know we don't no um, you you can't buy those songs individually you have to buy yeah. them through the by the whole soundtrack well, okay, so I gotta. I always try to end these things with a couple of questions. Number one, do you look back on your career and have any regrets? And then number two, what are just the biggest, greatest highlights? And I'll and I'll warn you right now, I could keep you for another hour talking about mm-hmm. all the different mm-hmm. people you've played with and the things mm-hmm. you've done. And I'm trying to be sensitive to your time. But what are your biggest regrets? And then what, when you look back and you just think, I cannot believe this happened to me. What is that memory?
3: There's been so many. So many moments in my life, not only as a musician, but just as a human being in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I have to say, Bob Dylan meeting Bob Dylan was mm-hmm. pretty. Uh, Out
1: of feeling, amazing. you might say
3: that. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, what about it, that? Was, it was
3: so significant. Well, he was at a show of ours, I guess, Incognito, mm-hmm. really? and then the next. Yeah, and the next day he. His manager called and asked if our band would go to his house, and the band went there and played. I didn't go. He didn't <clears> need a singer, but the <laughs> but the band, the plugs, went to to his house, and for almost a year, like every other week or something, twice a week or something, they were at his house and they were playing wow. with him, and he would just show up with little pieces of paper written on. You know, I, I, you know, of course I reamed the mm-hmm. band every time they came back sure. for all the information. And he just had a little piece of paper with things written and start playing. He wouldn't talk to the band really. And he'd just start playing and they would start playing with him. And he did this for, for almost a year. And then the the manager said he's coming out of uh retirement. And he's gonna play on David Letterman and he wants you guys to play. Mm. And I I hadn't, you know, I hadn't met him yet.
2: Then mm-hmm. they did the
3: TV show and right after the TV show we were doing the um we were doing an album and he came to the studio to play on it. And uh you know that's when I met him and I, I mm. you know when when I met him he said Tito I heard a lot about you. And I said I heard a lot about you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I felt right. like an idiot. <laughs> <No kidding. laughs> but but you know and then he played harmonica on the record. And, I still have a harmonica, I kept it. But, you know, oh, right. he. it was just, to me, it was like a, I don't know, it was like a, a dream. I don't know. It was, sure, it was of course. But I guess at that time, I thought, why oh, Why did this happen? I mean, this is bizarre yeah. to me. But, uh, of course, there's been many other people that I've met that I,
1: I admire. and. Yeah.
3: You know. Do you I have like an In
1: Excess thing. story? I love In Excess.
3: Yes, and, and I did too. As a matter of fact, uh, oh, good. they were. Yes, I do have an ancestor. When we toured with them the first time, we had just come off the Alarm tour. And, I love that I don't know if you remember love that band. Them. Yeah, that band. I love they, the Alarm.
2: Love them. Yeah, they were.
3: They were. They had a sound.
2: Yeah, But they, they sure hated
3: did. each other. They wouldn't talk to each other, oh. and and they were really mean. <laughs> they were mean on stage. They wouldn't allow us to eat in the dining room if they were there.
2: That's they, crazy. They were,
3: yeah, they were like real rock stars, and and they didn't really have that much success. And, and uh, we, did, no. I think we did a Canadian tour with them. But then right after that tour, we got on the NXS tour, and we thought they were going to be like the Alarm, but they uh-huh. were the opposite. They were like buds. They were like, really? Oh, you can use our desk. You want to use our lights? We don't care. You know that kind yeah. of yeah. And we hit it off right away, and the on the second night we're hanging out by their tour bus and uh and they're playing a, a record i produced i hear it in the, on their bus really? and i said i said are you uh, he says i uh, i asked him i said why are you guys playing the gun club are you guys into the gun club he said we love the gun club yeah. i said i produced i produced that record and they said
0: you did they didn't believe me <laughs> they i don't think i knew that either you yeah, a lot of gun clubs.
5: John has got a lot of his eyes, and surely has got a lot of her lips. Jake's got a muck a shine on his head, and Debra Ann's got a tiger in her hips. They can twist and turn.
3: I produced their first album. I, no. went to Je- I went to Jeffrey and I said, Jeffrey, I want to make a record with you. Because I he, I, he threw, we played at the Hong Kong Cafe one night. He threw a cassette in my out in the back of my amp when we were loading in, this is what he told me later. Uh I took it home. I found the cassette, I played it and I went crazy. I said, who the fuck is this? It didn't have a name on it. I took it to my friends. I played it for them. And one night I was over at Xene and John's, They were, you know, making Uh tattoos on their arms or something. And And I'm sitting there. I said, Hey, you know, I have this tape in my car. I want to play for you. And, and Xene goes, I know who that is. That's Jeffrey. He works at flash. He, he, you know, he's in the shipping.
1: Yeah.
3: I said, Are you kidding? Yeah, he's a fan club president of the Blondie fan club. Oh. And so wow. and so I I I I can't remember if she gave me his number or whatever. I called him, I said, Look, I want to produce your band. I have some money. You guys, you know, I got together with him, yeah. we rehearsed for two weeks. We went through all the wor- lyrics, we went through all the arrangements. We got great equipment. I, I had uh, Noah Shark and Max, who produced its first two Tom Petty records.
2: Uh-huh. They, uh huh.
3: They we got a studio and they they engineered it, and we went in there and recorded uh, this album. Then oh, right. I, I I ran out of money because I had uh-huh. my record company Fatima Records. I I produced okay. another band called The Brat. I did the, I produced the Pee Herman soundtrack record. Blah blah blah. Oh, okay. But but then I, I ran out of money. And I, I went to Bob Biggs. By this time, Slash was full blown.
1: Yeah, they were really Yeah. And
3: I said, I got this record, and I, I'm done with it, and I really love it. And I can't put it out. Do you guys want it? Chris D, who, who me and Chris started the Flesh Eaters. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that punk
1: band. I've heard of but them, we, yeah.
3: Yeah, we, we started them way back. He was working there as a writer. And Bob said, No, I don't really like it. He heard it and he didn't like it, but he said, Chris D really likes it and he wants to start a subsidiary label to put this out called Ruby because Ruby records did not exist. So Chris says, I'd love the record, but I want to remix and recut, you know, four of the tracks.
0: I Uh said, fine,
3: I don't care. So we went in, recut four of the tracks, uh, remixed it. And then uh, of course, when the record cover was done and everything comes out, if you look at the back, my name is at the very bottom. <laughs> no <laughs> you way. you can't see it. You can't see it, but it says Chris D., produced by Chris D., but at the bottom it has my name, you know, really tiny. No but way. that record was my production. I did that record. So That is a great
1: – a buddy of mine gave me that, and so I only have a digital copy of it. A buddy of mine gave me that album maybe 10 years ago and just said, uh, I think you would like this and of course i did but i i didn't i've never done the research to know all that stuff you yeah. no, nobody
3: like, nobody knows that i did that
1: <laughs> literally wow. I mean, there's a
3: few people that read the fine you know the fine print sure um, and and then after i i told in excess you know that that was the record that i produced that was it we were like, yeah it, we were friends and when Amazing. they started their tour in europe for uh uh, well, we did the Listen Like Thieves tour here in the states, yeah. but when they mm-hmm. started their tour in Europe for the big record, I forget the name. of that. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm sorry.
3: Kick, kick, kick yeah. They yeah. called me in the middle of the tour saying we cannot stand our opening band. Would you guys oh. come out here? So really? I, yeah, you know, uh, we did it. We, we, we actually. Out of our own, out of my own money, for my publishing money, I paid for that tour to get everybody to Europe. No way. It was the greatest thing we ever did. Yeah, it was. Oh. They were incredible. They were, Good. They were a great rock band. A lot oh, of people thought I they loved. were kind of soft, but they were not soft. They were a fucking no. kick-ass band. They were. Great. They
1: were, and I don't think they get the credit they deserve. I think no, people they don't. write them off as a pop band, as yeah, if even writing great pop songs like they do is easy, which it's not, and no, I, it just, I think they are just underrated and underappreciated for the level of quality to what they were doing, and and it really kind of drives me crazy, because they are better than they deserve, better than people think that they are.
3: Yeah, and and if you didn't see them live, you didn't get it, because... I got to see them once,
1: just before Michael yeah. died.
3: Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, they were they were amazing. They were unbelievable, yeah. and they were real great guys. I mean, I, I I can't say enough great things about them.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad they were to great hear
3: to their fans. They were great to us, and they were just they were a class act. So yeah, I, it's so sad what happened to Michael, but I know you know I know. It just that comes. That is
1: really state, sad. Guess, yeah, uh,
3: and I'm surprised that, to hear
1: that you say was that about my it i'm glad i had no know. idea oh that's a fun story well cool well tito i i've kept you so long i love you a lot oh, that, and
3: that's okay i'm so <laughs>
1: grateful it's uh, like well, i said
3: i just kind of go with the
1: flow <laughs> well i can tell and i'm glad you went with my flow and i'm so grateful i just love you a lot and everything you do i think is interesting and a lot of it means so much to me and uh so i just really you, John. It, I appreciate i that. just wanted to let you know that and make an effort to try and turn some people on to some great music if they don't already know it. Thank you. So
0: Thank you very much. I thank you. It. All right, there you have it. The great Tito Lariba. What a huge honor that was for me. I love that guy. I'm going to keep this really short because I want you to hear two outro songs versus one that we normally do. First up is a incredible, epic, live version from 1986 of the Cruzados playing their song just like Roses. I think this is amazing. It showcases how incredible every member of the band is, but especially guitarist Steve Huffsetter. It's incredible. I hope you like it. After this is probably my favorite Cruzado song. It's called Time For Waiting, and it includes one of the all-time greatest female backing vocal performances in history by the unmistakable E.G. Daly. Seriously, does anyone sound like E.G.? She, she, is one of a kind. I love her. Anyway, thanks to Tito. Thanks to Yan for producing. Thanks to all of you for listening. Find us on Facebook. Find us on iTunes, The Hustle. Come back next Tuesday with another episode. We'll talk to you later. Enjoy the music. So is
5: you must What's wrong? You must control Thank you. Those lights are gonna kill us, please.